Welcome to Empowering Chats with Susan Burrell. This is where I help strong, capable women excavate the inner garbage in their life so they can become more confident and have more clarity on who they are and how they really want to be in the world. We have rich, juicy conversations about, yeah, you guessed it, empowerment, but also about radiating your brilliance and loving yourself more than you ever have in your life. And who doesn't want that? So join me now for another empowering chat. So, oh, what a year, 2021, and we're now in December. Can you believe it? I, I'm, I'm still a little shocked. I'm just kind of like stunned this year went by so fast. Um, so, but what we do on Empowering Chats with Susan Burrell uh, for the last couple of years is the month of December we call the month of giving. And what we've done in the past is uh, my team and I have decided individually where we would like to donate money to nonprofits that are in need of, of support. And so we've recorded those over the last couple of years uh, to give people an idea of where you can give because giving isn't just about, you know, the slippers for your dad. Hi, dad. Don't <laughs> guess what you're getting. Um, <laughs> it isn't just about that, but it is about giving from a, a place of love within your heart to ideals and to people that are doing amazingly good work in the world. Um, so if you catch up on some of the empowering chats with Susan Burrell from the past couple of years, you'll get some ideas of where else and how else you can give um, during the month of December giving. So what we're doing this this time around in 2021 is um, we're going to do a, an offer again of my book, Live an Empowered Life, a 30-day journey book. This is an interactive book with my uh, website. So you You'll watch videos, you'll listen to meditations, you'll learn how to do tapping and mind mapping and all sorts of great skills that are in the book. And there's a lot of journaling. It's a workbook. But we're doing an offer again of a buy one through our website, and we'll, you'll get a second one for free to give to a friend this Christmas or over Hanukkah or however you celebrate. Um, but buy one, give one, and you can find it on the website. SusanBurrell.com. See, this has all these little sticky notes because I've worked this a few times this year and taught it. So um, yeah, Live Your Empowered Life, A 30-Day Journey by me. The thing that the next uh, guest that's going to be on today, his name is Jason Morgan, and he has the most amazing heart I've met. He has an incredible story I want you all to listen to. And he has a really big ask of where you could give during the month of December, the month of giving. So I invite you to sit back and listen to Jason's story and see if you can find it in your heart to give just a little bit more this year. In, in the meantime, be love. Oh, I'm going to read something from my book. That, that's going to be the end of this piece. Here we go. These are, this is affirmations that I wrote and work that are in the book. So I'm going to read you two. The first one, today I stand on the edge of my life and I realize 
I am surrounded and filled with a divine loving energy that supports me in all I am and all I do. That's a good one. And then <clears throat> to close, I can, I took my finger out of the book, everybody. Sorry. With each breath, I expand my heart. With my inner eyes, I see that I am love, overflowing and renewing love. I radiate love everywhere I am. I am met with love. I am love overflowing. Enjoy the show. So today, everyone, I have uh, the most amazing uh, man who we've already connected before I hit record, but this, this individual has an astounding story to talk about and share with us. And he's also an author of a book. Um, but I think his story is going to really move you and hopefully it might move you to action as well, which we'll talk about a little later in our conversation. So the, the, the book is called A Dog Called Hope. And I want to welcome Jason Morgan. Jason, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. So I I'm just going to tell how I came across you. Um, my uh, close friend and graphic artist and the person that makes my whole website and everything, Susan Burrell, beautiful, had read your book, A Dog Called Hope. And um, and she was telling me about it. And we both looked at each other and and we said, oh, my God, we've, we've got to have you on Empowering Chats because your story is so incredible. So Jason, would you share with everybody a bit, a bit about your story first? Sure. Just, um, um, you know, it starts off with me basically starting in the military when I was uh, 20 years old. And it's something that I've always wanted to serve. I was actually in college in a golf scholarship and um, just kind of lost my game, lost my ride. Mm -hmm. And just really was trying to figure out what was going on. And I was wanted to be in the Air Force was something always in the back of my mind. I thought no better time than now and went into the military and became part of um it took several years, but went a part of a very elite group, the Great Berets, which is a combat weatherman. And so our job was to provide weather operations for special operations. And which weather is is as you know very crucial, especially if you have, you know, people jumping, people in the water, waves, um, um, you have uh, current data if we're swimming in um, if we're jumping um, aircraft and, and all different types of weather. So we would brief the, we would brief the commander on weather and try to use weather as an asset. But we would also train just as a special forces guys, the Green Berets that I worked with. Even though I was Air Force, I worked for the Army. Uh-huh. And um, 10 years into it, in 1999, I was on a mission in South America. And we were combating the FARC, which F-A-R-C, which is a, like a drug terrorist group over there. And they um, operate in the, the drug trade. That's how they get a lot of their money. So we were over there trying to, and they kid, they've kidnapped a lot of American and British like engineers and oil workers too. So it's kind of like Al-Qaeda except in, in South America. South America, yeah. Right. And so we were training the Ecuadorian and Colombian special forces how to combat against them. So we went with them. I was with them, I think, SEAL Team 4 and some other seven special forces groups, a bunch of um, special operation assets. And we were down there for 30 days. We had a, felt like we 
did what we we're supposed to do, except one of our helicopters broke down and it's eight hour drive to go to the capital Quito where they could fly in a part or ship in a party so we could go home. And they asked for two volunteers to provide security for our driver and me and my buddy both volunteered. And it was on that, on that journey. We were like in an SUV, regular SUV. We never were, we rarely ever wore like a military uniform except when we we're, you know, piloting in the air, but um, I never had like military vehicles or anything. So we're in a regular SUV, but they um, try to ambush us from behind. So as I was hanging out of the window, trying to disable the vehicle behind me in, in the car, um, our driver was still driving really fast and we thought we did our job. We didn't, they wouldn't see him come around the next corner. We were in the Andes mountains. So it was very kind of treacherous. Right. Driving. And the driver just didn't make the next corner. He lost control and he just went like over ravine and the vehicle just started flipping, rolling. And because I was halfway out with my vehicle, I'd flipped out of the vehicle. Then the vehicle rolled over me and crushed my back. And then it, it kept on. And so not only I was, um, <clears throat> have a broken back, but I was face down in the water, broken back, oh. unable to move, unable to breathe. Every time I took a breath, I just ingested this like stagnant, dirty water. And, um, I was very fortunate. An American missionary that was in Ecuador at the time, he, he worked in Ecuador and he was checking on one of his tennis sites because they have a Christian radio station. He saw the skid marks and stopped and him and his coworkers got out and they decided to go down and, and go down to the vehicle. And as he did, he said, the only way he found me is that as he was trying to find the safest way to skirt down there, he stepped on me because I was fake, I was smashed down in the water and covered in mud. And that's the only way he found me, he pulled me out. Oh my God, that Jason, that sounds like uh, uh, God was guiding him. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, wow. I mean, they never would have found me, at least not in time, uh, because I think I'd been in the water for at least five minutes under the water. So, you know, very fortunate. We were up at altitude, like Uh 14 or 15,000 feet. So it was a lot cooler. Like I was wearing shorts because we left the Amazons. It was like 95 degrees and 100% humidity, but going up the mountains, it was like barely above freezing. So I think that really slowed down my vitals too. And um, anyway, so they got us all up to the vehicle and they tried to call, the cell phones didn't work, but because he had the shortwave radio, mm-hmm. he was in contact to the embassy, American embassy, which because it was a black op, they didn't even know we were there and called them and told them we need to get these guys to a hospital because we couldn't go just to any hospital. Obviously right. we need to be protected. And they told us which hospital to take and they were sending an ambulance to come get us. And they said it'd be about three hours for the ambulance got to us. And the guy that saved my life, Steve Sutherland, Steve said, you know, this guy talking about me, he's like, this guy didn't have three hours. He's gasping for every breath. I don't think he'll make it. So he decided to take the seats out of his minivan and he loaded me and the other two guys in there. I was the one that was most critical and decided to meet the ambulance halfway. And as soon as we met the ambulance, I stopped breathing. They had to actually insert a chest tube to, reinflate my lungs. So there was so many close calls. It was, we call it the, the, the miracle on Yalo because it was on Yalo mountain. Uh-huh. There was so many things that had to happen for me to be here today. And, um, you know, just getting me back to the U S was tough because all the medevacs have like U S air force, U S army on the side of it. And since we weren't supposed to be there, they had to find a non-military jet and medevac it out. And I think it went all the way up to the chief of staff of the army, had a secure, jet for security reasons it was i mean it was um had no markings on it and they medevaced it out and they got me back within us like within 48 hours which is 
Oh my God, that's spectacular. It is. And then, um, you know, I woke up about two months later from a coma saying that Mm -hmm. you're lucky to be alive, that you'll never walk again. So that was like the start of my new life. You know, I talk about a rude awakening. I know. And, you know, I felt like that I worked so hard to get to the job I was at. There's only 72 people in the Air Force that have my job. And it's um, pretty elite. So to go to something you've always wanted to climb, you, you achieve that pinnacle. And then mm. now you only fall down, but you fall down mm. much lower than you were. Mm. Instead of my goals of being making a unit like this, my goals were to roll over from side to side myself or to, you know, I mean, be able to get into a wheelchair and maneuver it. So it just learn how to dress again, learn how to do everything again. And it just, um, it was a struggle. I, I won't lie. It was, it was tough, but I do believe that all that training I had before helped me train me for my next, my next, I call it my next life, you know? Right. A- absolutely. And, and uh, it's amazing how circumstances, especially traumatic ones, you're, you're at a choice point during those, when you come into a traumatic experience, I, I, I believe this to be so that you're always at a choice point. Do I live or do I die? Right. I mean, you were in an elite thing where you were always at the choice point anyway, do I live or do I die? Right. So that you could do your job well, but to come out into that experience, the, this new life, it, do you find that that's a choice point still of, am I going to, am I going to stay here or am I just going to move on? Yeah, I think so. And I don't really remember. I remember a few things when a lot of the coma was induced because I had so many injuries I had to find a way to heal my body. But um, yeah, I think it was, I just like when I was in the hospital, they were, I was like tied down to this bed um, because it moved back and forth to keep me from getting pressure sores and I kept thinking I got captured by the Colombians and I always was trying to escape. So it's like I was always trying to free myself, you know. Right, just, right. Again, I think the hospital staff got irritated with me a few times because I, I kept yelling, like, get me out of here. I tell them, like, unhook all the stuff and let me go out the side of the hospital, out the window, which was no windows. But I thought there was one. And I'll hook up everything once I get outside. And it was crazy. Even um, And there's so much that happened in that four, in that two months I was in the hospital in a critical time. And... And Damian Lewis, the guy that, that I guess really wrote the book, did an amazing job of getting um, the facts from my parents who my, my mom took notes. And, and I didn't really think about all this, but when I read the book for the first time, um, I read that part that I didn't know. Like I started bawling. Like I had no idea what my parents went to. And I was day to day for over a month. And in fact, even one such incident, I'll just go through one real quick. There's so many. Now you have to read the book to get them all. But um I have a twin sister and they said, tomorrow we're going to try to do surgery on Jason. So go home early. It's going to be a long day. Um, we think he's finally ready for surgery. They're going to stabilize my back and put the titanium rods and stuff in and see the extent of my injuries. So my parents left and they went downstairs in the, um, to eat. And as they were, after they ate, as they were leaving, my sister said to my dad, it's like, dad, you need to go check on Jason. And I was like, no, he's fine. You know what the doctor said? He's in ICU. He's got everyone around him. And she just felt really strongly about this. And finally, after arguing a little bit, she's like, dad, if you don't go, I will. So my dad, I was like, all right, I'll be right back. And my dad went upstairs and he looked at my monitors. I was actually in cardiac arrest. Oh my God. Someone actually muted the monitors. So no one knew there. Someone came in with the motorcycle crash. It was in bad shape and they're busy 
you know, working on him. So no one even knew I was going through this until my dad went up there and kind of yelled at everyone. Like, and I think it took around seven hours to finally stabilize me. I almost, I think I rested like three times once during that time, but three times the total time between my accident and, um, and today. So, you know what, I just have to say, I I said, it. God bless you, Jason. That's, that's talk about thriving, wanting to be here three times. I mean, with everything you've gone through, and I know that there's more than, than up until this point of where you are in your story. I, I, God bless you for really wanting to be, be here. And then, and then becoming present your mission is, your mission is bigger than what most people could even imagine. Yeah. And you know, when it started off, right. When I remember when I woke up from my coma, I don't remember all the words, but I remember when the doctor said, you know, you'll never walk again. And I remember everyone in the room because my parents knew, but they never told me. And I I somehow thought that the surgery I was going to have was going to fix everything because I was in and out and in and out. And, um, and I noticed, and I don't remember saying this, this is in the book, but my mom, my parents said, they told me, I said this and I noticed everyone was like really sad because they knew that was the first time that I found out that I was going to be never walking in and paralyzed from the waist down. And I said, Hey, don't you worry about me. I'm going to use this to help other people. And I think that's been my mission. And I don't, and I didn't learn about that until about five years ago. And um, I was like, wow, you know, it's like, I just, it's like, I knew I had that mission right from the beginning. Yeah. Because, you know, when I got hurt, there was no wounded warrior project or any of those missions that help, that help veterans. None of those existed. It was pre nine 11. So um, there was a lot of us out there that was just kind of let out to dry. And I never want to say anything about, about the military because I love our country and I love our military and I love the guys that I fought for. But at the time, they put me on temporary disability. And a couple of years later, I thought five years and I thought, well, five years, I'm going to rehab. I'm going to start walking in. I get my job back. And that was kind of giving me my hope. And um, about six months after I got to the hospital, I got a letter saying, now we've changed it to permanent retirement. You know, not even thank you for your service, whatever, you know, no medals, not that I do anything for medals, but it was just kind of, that was the way they did things in and Thank goodness they don't do it now, but yeah, that was God. one of the saddest days of my life. I mean, I, I, bet. I, I cry when I, that's all I knew right. was the military, you know, and I think that was what was giving me hope to, to rehabilitate myself, you know, and, um, you know, and then, you know, I spent, uh, I spent three and a half years in the hospital out of my first seven years from pressure sores and different wounds and stuff like that. And the last time I was in for like 11 months. And I was excited to get home. And my kids were very young. There were one, three and four when I got hurt. This is a few years later. I was excited to come home. I'm like, well, at least I'm going to be a father. You know, I'm not going to be in the military again, but I could start being a father and a husband. And then I found out that my wife said that she's not going to be there when I got there. Oh, God. Yeah. So she left me and the three boys. And But, you know, in a way, it was a a good thing because that's what gave me purpose. And we all need purpose, right? Yes. What started my, my really started me pushing myself was that I need to be a, I need to be there for my boys because they're all I have, you know? Right. Right. And, and so you, I'm I'm just going to love on you a bit, Jason. (laughs) You sound like the kind of human being and there's many of people like you that, that commit a hundred percent 
to uh, whatever it is that they're doing. Like you committed 100% to your uh, military career and then 100% to rehabbing as, to the best of your ability and then 100% to being a father for your three boys. And that going the, the, I don't know if the military taught you to do that, but I think there's some sort of deeper, um, is my belief, you can, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think in, in all of us, when we're faced with a trauma and you were just knocked around several times, not just one little trauma or big trauma, but right. several, and um, it, to find that inner strength, constantly going to that well within where there is strength, where there is courage or where there's hope that, you know, like you talk about, uh, that is daunting for some people to do. And you're, you're modeling how you do that. Yeah. And it, you know, it wasn't always that way. And a couple of times it's got me in trouble too, but <laughs> in a good way. But, um, you know, I mean, at first when I was like in the hospital for 11 months and when I woke up, I have like severe nerve pain and it's better now, but after numerous surgeries and everything else, and I remember all I did was like, look at my clock and wait for four hours to come because so I could get my next dose of pain medicine. And I'm like, that is no way to live. There's gotta no be way a, to live. you know, it was the, the really the, the biggest turning point. And I just kind of recalled this is that while I was in rehab, I went from about a hundred uh, I'm six foot. And I went from like 185, 90 pounds to 129 when I got out of the hospital, Holy you know, really. skin and bones. I sure don't weigh that now, but, um, but, you know, I was kind of depressed. I, I couldn't do much of my, my rehab because my pain was so bad and I was really struggling. And this guy I wheeled in there and I was thinking, what kind of life can I have from a wheelchair? I've never known anyone except an elderly person in a chair that someone's being pushed around. So I never knew about someone, excuse me, being young. <clears throat> Sorry, hang on. I didn't really know how active you could be. Right. Here. So this guy will then was like, what a cool chair. It was like this titanium chair and nothing like I've ever seen before. And he rolled in there, he started talking to me. He's like, he's on them on the basketball team, wheelchair basketball team and stuff. And he's like, you know, when you get better, I'd love for you to join us and start practicing with us. And you know, you meet a lot of cool people. And and I saw that. And when he left, he like like did a wheelie and did like a 180 because the, the space was really tight. And yeah. all that, and I was like, holy cow, like I can't have a life from a chair. And I, I wish I remember that guy's name and it's in the book. I wish, I hope he reads it one day. So he knows because that guy, the five minutes that he's, he gave me, he has no idea how much he turned my life around. And I try to remember that. Like, you never know the difference you can make in someone's life. Just a you little never, You never know. It's just so important to show up and be present with people like exactly. he was with you. Listen, to care. Exactly. Right. Just to show up. You're right. right. But yeah, and that's what really you know pushed me going to where I'm at now. So, so let's talk about your book a bit now, because, okay. uh, Oh, I got chills, Jason. Just, um, so let's talk about a dog called hope. Okay. And, and so uh, this is a, this is a whole companion program. Were, were you one of the first guys to get involved or how, how does it happen that you get involved and what it just explain the companion Sure. So I was, um, 
I was actually learned how to fly again. I was in an air show. We, we uh, flew kids with disabilities and taught them how to fly. They get to hold the stick for a minute. And it was, got kind of scary a few times, but. Um, <laughs> um, but I, uh, I have an uncle and a cousin who fly all the time. So yeah. yeah, but it's, it's neat for the kids. They're, they're um, mentally and physically disabled. It's like they get a lot of, um, you know. Empowerment. Yeah, flying a, flying a plane, it's like, wow, if I can do this, no telling what else I can do, you know? And mm-hmm. so I've only seen a few dogs and dogs were not popular back then as service dogs as they are now. You got a lot of the, well, you got a lot of the fake service dogs. I'll just put it out there, but. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. And uh, Canine Companions had a booth there. And so someone walked their dog up there and they said, hey, we have a booth over here. Would you be interested in service dog? And I'm like, well, there's no way. I mean, I raised three boys on my own. I, I don't feel like I'm disabled enough to have a dog. And they said, no, I think you would qualify. And I've always loved dogs. So I went over there and saw these amazing dogs. Canine Pain has been around for 40 years. So they've been, they're the longest. Um, it was only 20 years, I guess, when I found out about them or, or 30 years, I guess. And um, found out about these incredible things these dogs can do. I mean, they could turn light switches on and off. They can like get your clothes oh. out of the dryer. Mine don't learn how to fold them yet, but we're, we're working on that. <laughs> but they can open and close doors, get a drink up for me. Like, you know, once I'm out of my chair, it's so nice. I can tell my dog to get, like, if I don't have the remote handy, like, you know, get the remote. He knows where it is and I'll grab the TV remote and give it to me. Otherwise, I have to transfer back into my wheelchair, roll to where the remote is, and then come back and transfer back into the, the lazy board, whatever I'm in. And, you know, when I drop stuff to get my keys and so forth, you know, and, and, um, I just I couldn't believe all these things these dog could do and how much it could help. But really for me, it was more um, my bridge back to society because like when I'd go into a grocery store or something, <clears throat> people saw me in a chair and it's almost like they just kind of ignored me and not yeah. to be rude or anything. I think they just didn't know. Yeah. Of, yeah. No ignorance. And I remember the first time I got brought my dog into a store, I felt like everyone in the store came up to me. It's like, who's this dog that's like pulling you down the aisle and, picking out his own dog toys in the dog toy aisle and you know, but it was amazing and it just really brought me back to it was like my bridge back to society it was really incredible um both mentally and physically what these what these dogs can do um and it now, just gave me more confidence you know right. and more independence obviously do you so but they are, are the dogs already trained before they are. you get okay yeah so these dogs are trained for two years and so you go into a class when you, you, qual- you have to qualify for it and you have to meet the requirements because it takes about $50,000 to train these dogs all the way through. Mm-hmm. So you're just not going to give it to anybody. I want to make sure that you're financially secure, that you can take care of the dog and that you have proper places to handle the dog. It can use a restroom and different things. And then they want to make sure that your disability qualifies for a dog, that you could really use one of their dogs. And it's a really neat process because you write essays and learn a lot about you and your personality and things that you do. So they have a good idea of what kind of dogs you're going to work with when I get there. So like when I went to my class, it was like 10 other people and there was about 15 dogs. And so I worked with like three dogs and I was there for two weeks. because so we had to learn everything the dogs would do. They had to train us this time, you know, right? and like 50 commands, it takes a while to learn and, and, and different things. So Going up there, they, I worked with like three or four dogs. And then they, after the third day, they matched the dog that worked best with me. And then I stayed with that dog all the way through. And that's what was issues. And that's the way it works. It's a, it's a really great program. And were most of the people that came, uh, uh, the other uh, 
people applying for a dog, were they all wheelchair bound as well? Uh, no, there was some uh, guys with prosthetics. Uh-huh. Um, there was some, um, there was a lot of kids with uh, autism there. And with that, the parents come with them. The parents are the main keeper of the dog, but it's right. Um, it's amazing what they do for these kids too, with uh, with mental disabilities. But yes, no, those we pretty much all rounded out. There was, um, I think there was only two of us in chairs, but the rest of them had some sort of um, disability where the dog could really help them out. Okay, so how, what was the adjustment like when you brought? What, and the name of your first dog was Nepal. Was Nepal. Yes. So when yeah, you brought Nepal home, guy. there must have been an adjustment with your boys and everything. There was. And so we had to learn um, the different rules when he has his vest on, he's working, you know, that don't distract him, which um, you try to get people in the public to learn that too, but it doesn't always work. But, yeah. um, but when he was home, his vest was off and he was a pet and he was a great pet. And uh, my oldest son has uh, Asperger's. So um, the bond that they have, you know, we walked, I walked to school with them with my dog and, and I know that when school, when they knew that they were going to come, they rode the bus home, but when they came on with a the bus, they knew that Nepal, he knew about the time and he'd be sitting by the door waiting for Blake to get home <laughs> and because Blake fed him too. Yeah. And just that really awesome bond, but it was a little tough because I was like, I was getting, I wasn't used to getting so much attention. I mean, when you have a dog and there's not, especially then there wasn't many dogs around and yeah, that's like amazing dog. Everyone wants to to know about it. And it was it was good in most ways. Um, you never could like say I'm gonna go in the store real quick to get a you know, get a gallon of milk because that just that just didn't happen. But <laughs> yeah, but it was an adjustment, but it was and also teaching the dog your lifestyle. Like I know that when I go out a certain door that I can't shut it behind me because of my chair, that he goes back and pushes it shut. And you do stuff like, you know, they kind of learn your lifestyle and stuff and you kind of integrate them into your livelihood, into your lifestyle. It's, it's quite amazing to see these dogs working. I mean, I only have to give my dog commands most of the time. I was in, I was in my room the other day and I dropped something and he heard it and he ran in there and saw it and grabbed it and picked it up for me. I mean, that's just, yeah. I, I'll have to bring him in here a minute and introduce him. Yeah. To yeah. The next room, but I can hear there, him snoring there, a little bit, but. The, I have, um, I'm, I'm looking over here. I have a, um, a Sheltie. And, oh, yes. and, and dogs are so smart and, and intuitive. They, they want, at least my dogs have always been that way. They, yeah. they, uh, my, my previous dog was my prayer dog. And when I would have clients come over, he would welcome them. He would look them in the eye. He would sit next to them if they were having emotional trauma. And, and then he'd go away for a while. And then at the end of a session, I always do um, a healing uh, prayer and he okay. comes in, he would always come in for the prayer. You know, it's like I, he, he uh, was awesome. there to, to support everybody. Yeah. And they're so smart and intuitive and just, and once they connect with you, then, then they're, they are, I think they're just more than a companion. They're, they're just like your best friend. They are because, you know, I'm with my dog 24 seven. I'm with them more than anyone in my life. And like when I have pain, he'll just come up and put his head like on my, rest it like on my leg on my wheelchair like he knows and he has a way of like sometimes I get frustrated because there was times in the beginning in 2010 when I first got him 2011 that there weren't many dogs around and a lot of times we're told we couldn't be in here because no dogs are allowed and it's not so much that way now I think the public's made definitely more aware of it but I get frustrated a lot of times and he just it's kind of like come on buddy calm down you know I call him my battle buddy you know oh yeah yeah 
Makes sense. He's yeah. helping you get through the, the battle of life. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's talk about these organizations that you're involved with, Jason, because um, I saw uh, on the book, at the back of the book, there's one called Operation Renewed Strength. Yes. And that's a nonprofit. Yes, that's one that I started up. And where that came from is that um, when I was in my coma or they're trying to bring me out, I wasn't responding properly. And they thought because the amount of time that I spent in the water that had brain damage. Oh. And so I had, um, my brother asked me, he said, Jason, what's your favorite verse? And without, and I don't remember this, this was, I was told this later. Um, and I quoted this verse, it's Isaiah 40, 31 that says, for those who hope in the Lord, we knew their strength. Mm-hmm. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will walk and not be weary. They will run and not be rain, <laughs> run and not be faint. And so, I talked about like renewing your strength. That's how I got Operation Renewed Strength from that verse. And that's when they knew that I was okay, that at least my mind was was good and not not damaged. So that's where I got it from. And I'm just really starting to get it going. But it's really about helping. Um, I just feel like I got a lot to offer. I've been in a chair for 20 years, and yeah. I'm still learning stuff. And, you know, like I, I water ski, I snow ski, uh, play tennis. I've competed in the, the wheelchair games and I've even um, skydived again. I've done a lot of stuff that a lot of people in chair don't think they can do. And I just, and it's not just the sports. That's kind of was my, my rehab. But I just think when you get these like families together, that they can really learn from each other. So, you know, to be able to do retreats with them. And like, cause my boys, they've never met another kid whose dad is in a chair. Yeah. And it'd be great if they did. Right. They it, yeah. And talk to each other about it. I think it would have been. Right really good so that's kind of what and it's also to let them know what's out there about canine companions and different organizations that that help you and that could really um further your life you know so so part of it is to create retreats for families to get together and get to know people that are in this similar experience right. and then support each other renew and support each other right and okay. the other part is just to um for them to gain knowledge about what's up out there for them. Because I didn't, I was hurt for 10 years before I found out I could get a service dog, you know, things like that. And physical fitness, how important that is, because they're like, well, how do you get out of the pool? I'm like, well, I, I can use my arms. How do you get to this place? It's all about using strength and workout and staying fit because in a chair, you have to be fit to do a lot of things that you could easily do if you weren't, you right. know, so, you know, getting out of your chair is just a chore in itself. Right. You know, so, so I haven't done any retreats yet. That's my next stage. And that's what we're planning on doing. So, oh my God, how fabulous. I, yeah. I, I would love to hear when you're doing that. I, I'll, in fact, I'll uh, put it in our newsletter when we start doing newsletters in the new year. Great. Well, thanks. Cool. So I'm trying to, uh, we got a couple of uh, movie offers. So we're working on the book. So we're, I heard that. I, yeah. I heard that when I was looking at the book this morning, I was like, oh, he's got a movie offer. Wow. Which yeah. you should. Yeah, it's uh, so we have a the the writer, the screenwriter that took on that read the book and absolutely fell in love with it. It's the same screenwriter for the movie Rain Man. Oh my God, but, um, how perfect! Yeah, so there's not a it's nothing's been finalized yet, but we went up to uh, invited me up. We went up to Beverly Hills and talked to all the studios and stuff, and a lot of people were interested. But then right after is when COVID hit, so things kind of shut down. So hopefully, it'll get there. I have you know, no doubt. Crossed. I have no doubt, Jason, yeah. I just, I, it's already done. I, I heard it 
it's already done. I have no and doubt. I, and, and mine is a success story. It's not like, you know, woes me, I have PTSD and I can't cope. And, you know, and it's, it's about overcoming those obstacles and still and having a successful life from even from a chair. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and all the trauma, the many steps of trauma that you've yeah. walked through and now wheeled through that, you know, yeah. it, it's fabulous. So operation renewed strength.org. Yes. Okay. And then let's talk a minute about the canine companion, uh, is it Canine Companion for Independence? Not anymore. Yes, they changed it. They rebranded. It's Canine Companions. Okay, yeah. just simple, much easier. Yes, it is much easier. It is. I I had a friend a few years ago who was going blind, and her doctor thought it would be important for her to get a seeing eye dog, and she you what you described is what she had to go through learning how to deal with the dog and and teach the dog, and basically the dog taught her. And, right. and it was when she came back into our community, she was like, he's, she, it was a girl. Um, you don't get to know her name because you don't, when she has her vest on, she's working and you can't touch her, you know, don't, because she has to be here for me. Oh, especially if you're, if, you know, if you're visually impaired, because you could step out into a street or, or go into a ditch or, or trip or, I mean, there's so many different things that that dog has to be alert. Yeah, 100% yeah. Of the time. and not distracted. Right. And the right. sweetest dog, but yeah. I bet. So canine companion. So uh, under op Operation Renewed Strength, you're going to have other uh, listings for people to resource like canine companions. Right. Yeah. And that's something that we're just building on now. I just want to get everything ready when the movie, if the movie comes out, because, you know, we'll obviously have the publicity and everything else. And, you know, I think I could, I could use that. Um, publicity to really make a lot of difference in other veterans life. And it's not, I, I think at first I said I was going to do it for veterans only, but I think I do it for anyone with disabilities, you know, yeah. so just like canine companions, they have their military initiative program for the veterans, but they have their other side of it too, that helps everyone that need with, that has a disability. So. Yeah. 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 Um, hold on. Cause there was another, as you were saying that um, another question floated in, um, Wounded warriors. So our wounded warriors, you said earlier in our discussion, wasn't around when you were wounded. No. And, and now I know, cause I know it's, it's ever, they advertise on television all the time, especially around the holidays. So people can donate and support is, is wounded warriors also going to be under your umbrella? Uh, absolutely not for, for several reasons. Um, and I think they're different now, but one of the organizations did something really good for me. Um, the Wounded Warrior Project sued them because, and they've sued like seven other companies because they have something close to their name or if their logo is similar. And I just hated all that money going to lawsuits. I know the organization I was with, which is, um, I'll go ahead and tell them because they're a great organization, the Wounded Warrior Family Support Group. And the Wounded Warriors didn't invent that name. That's a military term. Yes. Um, but they, they spent, it was like 2 million between both organizations spent in court. Just so now though, the um, Wounded Warrior Family Support Group, which um, has to put, this is not the Wounded Warrior Project. And that's all they got out of it. But they're trying to feel like they're trying to bully it. Other ones right. out. I mean, I'm just giving you facts. I'm, I hear you. Yeah. Um, I hear also, you. I 
them, and if you ever want to give them and many, many, probably 90% of the organizations do not give to veterans if they're hurt before 9-11. So like the Wounded Warrior Project, when I went to them, when I really needed help and some therapy, they said, sorry, you were hurt before 9-11. So, and that is across the board, most organizations. So if that's what you want to do, if that's what your heart is to, to do, I, you know, the, the guys that were hurt recently, then go ahead. But if not, there's a lot of great organizations that help any veteran, you know, that you don't have to be hurt at a certain place or after a certain time. So, so it's just I, something that, that people should look into. I, you know what, I was just going to say that um, because I am a firm believer of, of giving, giving uh, financial support to organizations that are doing good work. In fact, yes. the month of December, that's what we do on Empowering Chats. We talk about mm -hmm. the gift of giving. And it's vitally important. I'm, I'm wagging my finger, Jason. You see, I'm <laughs> wagging right. my Yeah, I see it. Because I it's vitally, I think it's so important that you investigate where your money goes once you hit that donate button. And, yes. and exactly what you just said, it, when the money is not going to the individuals they are purporting helping, that is not the organization to give to. Like I will right. not give to the Salvation Army at all. Just the same, yeah. Because just a, I'll give it uh, a shout out too for Smiles Charity. Um, it's a local organization here in, in the DFW area, but um, they uh, renovated my house. They do it for anyone and they only take almost everyone as a volunteer. I think they're all volunteers. And uh, they renovated my house. They put in uh, a few ramps and hardwood floors. And um, I have a pool in the back that did therapy that I've now have a hard time getting out of. they they have a uh, have a chairlift for me that you know oh, that puts around puts me into the pool and stuff and they usually build houses and they um, have a lot of people that are you know obviously wanting to get their house free of charge and they asked me and a lot of people on the board knew me which I didn't even know that at the time but I didn't know that they were on that board and they asked me if we could build you a house and I said you know I'm, that's a very generous offer but I'm gonna have to decline because. I love my house and it was right before my book came out and I didn't want to like maybe make all this money from the book or movie and then them like build me a house. I thought it could go to someone that was more needing of it. So then they talked about renovating my house. I said, oh yeah, we could do that. So even like my bathroom, I have a full rolling shower, completely redid my bathroom and stuff. And those are, there's, so there's some great organizations out there. That right, right. And, and yeah. And just investigate everybody, yeah. investigate and and then follow your heart, follow your, your, the, the wisdom of your heart to what is the best place where your money can serve uh, others in whatever, whatever way, you know. Right. And you know what, to. I've, to a lot of veterans, I started, you know, I was on the board of a couple of organizations. And so we did a lot of events and stuff. And sometimes I see the same, um, disabled veteran at every event, you know, it's almost like um, what they're trying and, you know, it's like, what can I get? What can I get? What can I get? You know? And it's almost like I tell them, it's like, are you getting any better? It's almost like, no. And they said, what you need to do, find one of these organizations that you really liked and volunteer with them and help them and start helping other people. And, you know, that's what really healed me a lot, you know, is, yeah. is doing something like that, knowing that what I've gone through is going to be able to help someone else. So it's like, yes. stop it and start giving, you know, I think it'll make a big difference in your life. And I think for a lot of people, hopefully it has. So. Yes. And I, I absolutely agree with you. This is um, a good, uh, excuse me, 
<coughs> it's a it it's what um, I suggest to my clients who come to me and they're just overly depressed. Yeah, and they're and they're feeling they're depressed because they're feeling they're in a victim mode of some sort for for whatever trauma and drama in their life. And the idea of giving first is when we receive more. Yes, because yeah. we're giving our time, our energy, or our money. Um, and that is like you just said, it's helping other people. And when we reach out, especially during this time of this whole pandemic and all that stuff, when we reach out to help someone else, we are helping ourselves a hundred percent. We are. And, um, you know, like canine companions, they, um, when the dogs are between like six weeks and a year and a half, they go to volunteer puppy raisers who house those dogs for a year and a half to socialize them, to get the basic commands and stuff down. And then it goes to the professional training for the last six months. Mm. And only like 50% of the dogs make it through. They're that strict. But like those puppy raisers from Canine Companions are my heroes. I mean, to have a dog for a year and a half and then and then give it up like that, you know, is, is, is amazing. I couldn't but, do it. This, yeah. And this world relies on volunteers. That's I think that makes it so much yeah. a better place when you have people that volunteer their time and whatever they can give their time, their money or whatever they have, you know, it's, right. it's important. Now, Jason, you, before we started, you told me about another, uh, uh, nonprofit, another thing that you are trying to fund raise money for. So why don't you talk about that? I will. So, um, this is going to be a shock because I don't, I'm not one of those that post everything off, you know, Facebook and everything. Are, that do you want to, but I mean, now I guess the cat's on the side of the bag, but my dad has been a huge mentor in my life. And, um, you know, he was tough on me. I, there's no way I could have gotten through this stuff. I could have gone through without, without both my parents. And um, my dad, who's, you know, he just, um, he's just turned 82. But when he was 80 years old or 81 a year ago, he was 250 pounds, six foot three, this big guy with, you know, more hair than me. And, um, you know, in good shape. And he um, got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And usually when you find it, it's already at stage four. And unfortunately, there's not a not a cure for it. But, you know, it, I almost see that as his body kind of um, as he's losing the weight, I almost see like his heart is getting bigger, you know, and he's just still still amazing. And um, he's accepted his faith and just um, it's been so hard on my mom, too. But my dad's always been a big lover of canine companions because of what they've done for me. In fact, when I got my first dog, it's like. You know, first is like, well, why do you need a dog for? You can do everything. You don't need it. You know, and then after two months and him getting to know the dog, he's like, that's the best thing that's ever happened to you. And because I asked him to come down to my first graduation, I'm like, no, we're not. No, we're, we got stuff going on. We're not going to fly down to California. And, um, but then when I got my second dog, my first dog, Nepal, that's where I got my second dog. I didn't even have to ask my dad. My mom was already scheduled for other girls' trips, but my dad, um, went and actually flew to California just to go to my graduation. That's how important it was to him. And cause he knows how important it is to me and what it's done for me. And, um, anyway, so he loves the dogs. He loves canine companions and because mostly what they've done for others and what they've done for me. And so I really wanted to find a way to honor my dad. And I thought the best way is to name a canine companions dog after him. Oh, so fabulous. if you, um, yeah. So if you raise $25,000 then you get to, to um to name a dog and his name's mike which i didn't think was probably the the best name our last name's morgan so we thought of two names mikey or or morgan for a name so i think we got the names picked out and uh we just started um getting everything in shape we're actually going to have um 
a fundraiser at someone's house, but we're going to put on Canine Companion is going to put on the website a place where you can donate. And um, this is really important to me. And, you know, especially when my dad's still here, I want him to see this. And I just, like I said, I felt like this is, how can you honor someone who's been so much to me? And this is the best way I could think of. So this is something really important to me and in our entire family to be able to raise this money to, to do this for my dad. So if people want to donate, uh, we're going to have all that information in our show notes. You're going to send right. that to me, right? Jason? I will. Yes, I will. Yes. Okay. So, and, I, and you'd said earlier, it takes $50,000 to train a dog. Right. So $25,000 to earn the right to uh, name a dog. So I, I'm talking to everybody who's listening. And if you're wondering uh, what gifts you want to give at Christmas, to your friends and family, this might be a way to uh, give and know that that is doing amazing healing, good work in the world by giving to canine companions, not just so that uh, little Mikey or Morgan comes around, but also so that these dogs are supported and this program is supported because of the amazing work that they do. So I really invite you, as I do every December, um, to look within your heart and see, if not Canine Companions, at least give some money somewhere where it's going to be uh, doing some good work out in the world. Yes, absolutely. And I think, and we haven't discussed it yet, but I think over a certain amount, I'm going to give someone like everyone who donates over a certain amount, like a signed copy of my book, personalize it and send it to them. Fabulous. I know you can buy the book a lot cheaper on Amazon, but it won't be signed, right? So Right, it won't be signed. Again, this is a gesture of just a thank you. Yeah. So Jason Morgan, thanks for joining me. Thanks for hanging out this long. And everybody, oh, the book is called A Dog Called Hope. And oh my God, look at that face. I know it. I know it. I, I see that book all the time in my office and I, it makes me miss them so much. But yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, what the a book's sweetie. done really well. It's um it's won several awards. It was on um uh today's show is one of the summer's best read like last year. Uh-huh. And um, I think it's now just got um published in Russia. So it's in like in five countries right now. Oh so. fabulous. Yeah, it's done really well. Yeah, Damian Lewis is a great writer. We spent a lot of time together, you know, doing this book and I he found me. He he heard my story and contacted me, and it it was just a, a perfect partnership, and I could be more pleased. So. Thank you. Well, thanks for being with us today, Jason. And um, I, I'm just saying, God bless you and and the journey, the next this next leg of your journey with your dad and your mom, and I'm just blessing your whole family right now. Thank you so much. Yeah. So uh, that's our show for today, and I'm just going to end with. And so it is, namaste. Well, that wraps up our empowering chat today. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, go to susanborrell.com. You can see all the information about my new book, Live an Empowered Life, a 30-Day Journey. You can also access guided meditations that I have on Insight Timer through the website. And just see what else is out there on my site that you might find empowering and exciting to You can also contact me through the website at susan at susanborell.com. That's it for today. See you next time.